Please turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to chapter 8, verse 3. Acts 7, 54 to 8, 3. It's our scripture reading this morning. And then our sermon passage is taken from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 6 to 23. 1 Samuel 22, verses 6 to 23. Brothers and sisters, as the word of God is about to be read to you, I call upon you to give your full attention to it. We all understand that the word of God is not equally understandable in all places, that there are difficult passages, there are challenging places for us to understand. We know that that those of us who are perhaps more mature in the faith and more mature in life are uh, better able to understand than those who are a little younger, a little newer in the faith. Uh, but that doesn't exempt any of us who are here in this room, even the youngest or the oldest, from giving our full attention to God's Word as it is read. And so I call upon you, each of us, every one of us, to, to listen and to hear. Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 54 and reading through chapter 8, verse 3. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering, the ha- entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now turning, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 6 to 23. Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him, Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all of his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, the son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. 
And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. <coughs> Both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. This ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we have heard your word read. We have listened, O Lord, with full attention. We confess, dear Lord, that your word is as precious to us, more precious indeed than gold or silver or diamonds, because it has, co it has come from your mouth. It is spoken by you. And therefore we know, dear Lord, that it is true. It's without error. It is right in all that it says. Lord, we confess to you, that we continue to struggle in our minds. We struggle with understanding. We still suffer effects of sin upon our minds. Lord, often when we think we understand something about your word, we find out later on that we've been wrong. And so we pray that you would continue to give your church understanding and wisdom and guidance as to your word. We pray that your spirit, who is the divine author of scripture, that he who dwells in the hearts of all who believe, that he would guide us, that he would help us, that he would teach us from your word as your word is being preached. We pray this in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you have probably found yourself in a situation, especially if perhaps you're a little older, although I'm sure our young people have been in situations like this, even within the family, perhaps at work, perhaps out shopping, in which you encounter a person who is having a bad day. They're having a bad week. Perhaps they're having a bad month. And you end up being the one upon whom, for whatever reason, they end up taking out all of their frustrations. 
Perhaps you're like most of us and you have been the one who's guilty of taking out your frustrations on the poor unsuspecting soul who happens to cross your path so that they become the unfortunate recipient of your wrath through no fault of their own. Now Saul's anger in some ways, in some respects, is like that in our passage. It's just taken to the furthest extreme. His, his real anger, his psychotic, irrational rage is directed at David. He's very angry with David. He hates David. He's trying to kill David. But since David has evaded Saul, once again, the priests at Nob will have to do as substitutes. They're going to stand in David's place, as it were. Now that isn't to say, as we've already made allusion to, that isn't to say that Ahimelech did not disappoint Saul. He did things that Saul did not agree with. He gave, he gave David bread. He gave David this probably what was a fairly magnificent sword, at least a significant sword. But his actions, which Saul regarded as a betrayal, didn't justify his own murder, much less the murders of all of the other priests at Nob and their families and even down to the animals. But when sinful man thirsts for blood, anything close at hand will have to do if what they're really after is not nearby. Now there are hints, as we noticed last week, that perhaps Ahimelech was no longer loyal to Saul. And when given the opportunity through his support in a very practical way behind David, but that support for David and Ahimelech's loyalty to David when questioned by Saul had very severe consequences for Ahimelech. It cost him dearly. And Ahimelech's loyalty to David gives us a picture of Christ's loyalty to us. It also accentuates Christ's humility in subjecting himself to the psychotic rage of the people of his day, but also to the just wrath of his Father, which was poured out against our sin. Well, here's the thought I want you to, to hold before you today as we work our way through the sermon. Jesus Christ's loyalty to his covenant people cost him his life but gave to us eternal life. Let me say that one more time. Jesus Christ's loyalty to His covenant people cost Him His life, but gave to us eternal life. Now, I think in this passage that there are, are three types of loyalty on display. You may contend with me on that, that's fine. I'm not 100% authority on this, but I think that we see at least three types of loyalty on display in our passage this morning. The first is the loyalty of self-interest. And so that's the first part of our sermon today. The loyalty of self-interest is point number one. The second type of loyalty I think that we see in this passage is the loyalty of love. That's the second point of the sermon. And that the third type of loyalty, I believe, that is on display is the loyalty of gratitude. And that's the third point of the sermon. So, first point, loyalty of self-interest. The second point, loyalty of love. And the third point, loyalty of gratitude. So let's look at the first point, 
loyalty of self-interest. Verse 6 tells us that, that word had reached Saul that David had been discovered. We don't know exactly where this is. One commentator argues that what we have in the narration of the events that took place is, is a little bit of a step back chronologically so that Saul is finding out about David's presence nearby uh, very soon after David had departed from Nob. He's found out. But somehow David has been discovered. His whereabouts are known. Verse 6 also mentions that Saul had found out about the men who were with him. It seems that, that David, and we saw this at the end of last week's passage, he had accrued unto himself about 400 men. Perhaps around the time that, Paul, that Saul rather, is hearing uh, about this, David has, has, has acquired uh, just a small uh, band of merry men following him about. But at this point, Saul doesn't know what Doeg will tell him in verse 9, and that's a crucial piece of information. What he does know is that David could not have survived this long and begun to add to his accomplices without other people knowing about it. People who apparently hadn't been willing to come to Saul with their information. That's the assumption behind what Saul says beginning at verse 7. And I'll read that again just so you can hear the anger and the vitriol behind Saul's words. Hear now, people of Benjamin. He's speaking to his own tribe. Saul is of the tribe of Benjamin. Here now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that, you all, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Saul here is alluding to the fact that he wants... He expects that their loyalty will be bought. David's not going to buy your loyalty, he's saying. David has no lands. I, I am your king. I am the king of Israel, but I'm also of the tribe of Benjamin. So why is it you haven't been fessing up? Why is it that you have not been letting me know about what's going on with David? Saul is very displeased by the aid and the abetment given to David, and he mockingly asks if his fellow, fellow Benjaminites, or Benjamites think David is going to give them land or a command in his army. What can David give them for, uh, in return for their loyalty? Now there's almost an, a, a, an implicit pregnant pause after Saul's words and before Doeg speaks in verse 9. It's not there, there's not a new paragraph that begins there. But you can almost imagine that the servants, the guards, the men of the guard who are standing around Saul, and they're just, they don't know what to say. The same servants to whom Saul speaks in verse, verses 7 and 8 are the ones in verse 17 who refuse to strike down the priests when Saul commands them to do so. And it's at this point that Doeg divulges the intelligence he happened upon while detained among the priests at Nob. In verses 9 and 10, he says, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of Yahweh for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Now, perhaps it's because he's an Edomite. He's not, he's not Jewish. He's, he's a foreigner. He's an alien. Perhaps it was because he was detained before the Lord for some uh, infraction that Doeg feels the need to ingratiate himself to Saul. It might be some sort of attempt at redeeming himself in Saul's eyes, but whatever the proximal cause, Doeg's loyalty was motivated by a deep-seated self-interest. He wants Saul to buy his loyalty. But whatever 
the intentions are behind it. And, and it's certain that his motivations here are legion. Doeg clearly is throwing his lot in with Saul. And Saul's reaction was to send for Ahimelech the priest upon the word of one man, which was most certainly not the law of Israel, upon the word of one man, upon the testimony of one witness, Saul sends for the priest of, uh, of, of Nob and all of those who were there. After Saul's interrogation of Ahimelech, when Saul tells him in verse 16 that he and all of his father's house will surely die, Doeg is the only one of Saul's men who shows his willingness to carry out Saul's command to execute the priest. Verse 17 says that Saul turned to the guard, a guard plural here, collective word for all of the men of the guard who were standing around him, and he commanded those men of the guard to kill the priests of Yahweh because of their loyalty to David. But these servants of the king, these guards, they wouldn't do it. They refused. Now this refusal of Saul's servants to carry out his commands may possibly mean that they were among those mentioned back in chapter 18, verse 5, of whom it was said that David's successes and promotion were good in the sight of Saul's servants. There seemed to be some of, of, of the immediate household of, of, of Saul in terms of, of the official house of Saul who were supportive of David. Even though they worked for Saul, their loyalties lay elsewhere. And so they would not stretch out a hand against the priests of Yahweh. But Doeg shows no reluctance. Verse 18 says that, Doeg, that Saul told Doeg, you turn and strike the priest. And Doeg did just that. He killed all 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. All of the priests. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 19 says that he put the entire city to the sword. Men, women, children, ox, donkey, sheep. He killed them all. Scorched earth. Doeg's loyalty to Saul, which was at least in part a loyalty to his own self-interests, resulted in mass murder. He was willing to carry out the most demented commands of a king gone mad. That's the type of loyalty that Doeg had. And that takes us to the next point of the sermon, loyalty of love. Now, as mentioned earlier, after Doeg's report to Saul, he summoned Ahimelech the members of his household, all of the priests of Nob. And they all came to the king at Gibeah, which was only a few miles away from uh, this town, the city of Nob. And upon their arrival, Saul makes another speech. He made one speech to the people of Benjamin, to his tribe. He makes another speech, this time directed at Ahimelech, to whom he will refer only as the son of Ahitub. He won't even call him his, his first name until he gets to the point where he's telling him he's going to execute him. And Saul asks Ahimelech in verse 13 why, why he has conspired against him along with David. He tells Ahimelech that he knows about the food that was given to David. He knows about the sword that was given to David. And he asks Ahimelech why he's helping David to rise up against him. Now at this point, and for those of you perhaps for whom this was the first reading of this passage, or maybe you haven't heard it in a while, you might expect Ahimelech to give a simpering response to Saul, saying anything that he thinks will keep him away from Saul's wrath. Ahimelech undoubtedly knows what his king is capable of. That is not what Saul does. I'm sorry, not what Ahimelech does. He does not cower in fear for his own life. Instead, he says, beginning at verse 14, 
And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. What we see in Ahimelech is that the, the apple had fallen far from the family tree of Eli. Ahimelech did not seem to have his own interests in mind at all. He could have started with a defense of himself here. He could have said, I knew nothing about this. I questioned David. I asked him what his purposes were. were. But instead he starts out defending David. And then only secondarily he provides sort of an apology, a reason, a defense of his own actions. Ahimelech knew that his standing up for David would have dire consequences for himself. Ahimelech's loyalty is the kind that expects nothing in return. David is nowhere around to hear what he says to King Saul. Ahimelech will receive no reward or promotion. As a faithful priest, Ahimelech is loyal to the Lord's anointed. And the servants of Saul, the guards in his entourage who are unwilling to strike down the priests, seem to have at least some loyalty to David, who, as Ahimelech reminded him, was the captain over the king's bodyguard. David was one of these men. Now, there is no doubt that these men also had a strong aversion to the slaughter of all the priests of Nob, the men, the women, the children, the animals. They they didn't want to do that either. But this kind of loyalty that, that... that appears to be on display here, this loyalty of love, it might be described best as covenant loyalty. Not necessarily that Ahimelech or any of these members of Saul's guard made a formal covenant with David in the same way that Jonathan did, but it gives us a picture of what that is. Covenant loyalty is disinterested loyalty. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not based on self-interest. It's based on the interest of the other the person with whom the covenant has been made. Ahimelech was willing to suffer because of his loyalty to David, the Lord's anointed. He is honoring his commitments. And his loyalty to David, which admittedly is more implied than explicitly stated, comes, I believe, as a result of Ahimelech's loyalty to God. In Ahimelech's response to Saul's inquisition, he shows no fear of man which is evidence of of self-interest. When we're afraid of other people, when we're afraid of, of creatures who, like us, are made of the dust of the earth, it shows that we're interested in saving our own hides. He shows none of this. He fears the Lord rather than man. And it's his loyalty to the Lord, his loyalty to David, secondarily, this will result in his death and the death of all of the citizens of Nob. And in this way, Ahimelech's loyalty prefigures the covenant loyalty of Jesus Christ. Because Christ's loyalty to his people, born out of his deep love for us, resulted in him being hated by many of his own ethnic people. His covenant loyalty resulted in him going to the cross and taking our curse upon himself. Jesus Christ was loyal to his covenant he had made with us, even to his own great hurt. 
because of the love that he has for us. There's no doubt that Ahimelech knew exactly what was going to happen to him. He knew that by saying what he said to Saul, he was going to be put to death. Jesus Christ knew. He knew that coming to earth, that being born of the virgin, that living a life on this earth as the God uh, as God and man that it was going to result in his excruciating death on the cross. Well that takes us now to the third point of the sermon loyalty of gratitude. Everyone in Nob was put to the sword we read in verse 20 except Abiathar one of the sons of Ahimelech who escaped and fled to David one sole survivor. And when he gets to David, he tells him what happened at Nob. And David told him in verse 23, Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. I think it's safe to say that David is grateful to Abiathar for coming to him. He's grateful that, that Abiathar survived, that there was at least one person who survived. And he told him about Saul. He told him about, about what Doeg had done at Nob. And, and this telling, this, this telling uh, by Abiathar to David of what had happened, his coming to David, it, it brought about a deep loyalty in David for Abiathar. But David also feels a great responsibility for the only remaining priest. In verse 22, David says, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. What an awful, truthful admission to have to make to the only survivor of this family and of this town. Again, David shows no fear of man. His concern here is for the truth. He does not shade, he does not try to hide, he doesn't try to soften the blow by using words that are devoid of meaning. He tells the awful truth to Abiathar. But Abiathar knew this. He knew in going to David that David having come to Nob in the first place, having inquired at the tabernacle, is the very thing that enraged Saul against his father and all the priests. And yet Abiathar came to David anyway. And David makes a promise to Abiathar that he will keep him safe. David knows that Abiathar knows why his father and his family are dead. And he is grateful to Abiathar. He's grateful that he came to him in spite of it. David is grateful and his loyalty to Abiathar means that he may well suffer consequences for taking Abiathar in. In a similar way, this, this prefigures, at least it paints a picture of, of what our loyalty ought to be to Christ. We ought to have a loyalty to Jesus Christ out of gratitude for what he has done for us. Because his loyalty to us resulted in his death as a substitute for us. Now, now far too often, brothers and sisters, either we are, either we're plagued with pride in thinking about all the great things that we've done for the Lord, 
we're busy putting, putting notches in our, on our belts, right, of all the people that we've won to the Lord, all the souls that we've saved. Or on the other hand, the other extreme, which is just as bad. We have absolutely no gratitude. We either take pride in our own what we've done or, or we have no gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And both of those are, are heinous sins in the sight of the Lord. We have a duty to remind ourselves of what the Lord's done. We must not forget. And often these things go hand in hand. Our forgetfulness of what Jesus Christ has done, it often results in a pride in what we've done for Jesus Christ. But it's also the case that we get down in the dumps because we feel like we haven't done enough. We get down in the dumps because we don't realize, we don't remember what Jesus has done for us. We have a duty, a duty to cultivate, to fan into flame gratitude. Gratitude for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. We have a duty to remind ourselves to remember, we ought to have a loyalty to Jesus Christ out of gratitude for what he has done for us because his loyalty to us resulted in his death as a substitute for us. He was our priest. He died in our place. Just like Ahimelech died in the place of David. But we need to keep this in mind. Our loyalty to Jesus Christ may well result in painful consequences for us. There's a second Saul in the Bible. Sometimes the two are confused. But this second Saul relentlessly pursued those he perceived to be his enemies. In the passage that we read in Acts chapter 7 and 8, we read of how the people became enraged by the content of Stephen's speech. They gnashed their teeth at him. They seized him. They dragged him out of the city and they stoned him. They killed him in cold blood. They murdered him simply because of what he was proclaiming. And we read at the beginning of chapter 8 that Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And then Saul carried out a rampage of his own. He persecuted the church in Jerusalem. He dragged off men and women. He put them into prison. He was headed on up to Damascus to do the same thing. When Jesus Christ arrested him, when Jesus Christ brought him to life, these Christians back in Saul's day, New Testament Saul's day, their loyalty to David's greater son, Jesus Christ, resulted in their persecution and for many their death. And Jesus has promised that if they persecuted him, the world would persecute any who are loyal to him. And that is why, brothers and sisters, we must cultivate within the church a deep sense of gratitude to the Lord for all that he has done for us, for all that Jesus Christ suffered in our place and for our sake. Because if the persecution comes in our lifetimes, and it may, it may not, it certainly has in other parts in the world, if we begin to experience what our brothers and sisters in China, in South America, in the Middle East have been experiencing for generations now if we begin to experience that what we need in order to get ourselves through is gratitude gratitude 
gratitude that is, that is born out of the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Gratitude that as bad as we may have it, as much as we might suffer, it is nothing in comparison to the suffering that Jesus Christ endured for us. Because we will never know, we'll never know the hatred of our Heavenly Father against our sin in the way that Jesus Christ knew the hatred of His Heavenly Father against our sin. We'll never know it. That is what will sustain us if we do endure persecution. We must cultivate a loyalty of gratitude to Christ by remembering God's loving kindness in redeeming His people from sin and death. We need to do that in our families. But primarily we do it here. We do it as as God's covenant people. In this assembly, we proclaim the mighty works and the covenant faithfulness of the Lord to His people. Our loyalty to Jesus Christ will cost us far less than the loyalty that Jesus Christ had and cost Him. His loyalty to us cost Him His life. But it gave us eternal life. And that, brothers, is good news. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank You for Your covenant loyalty. We thank You for the ways in which it has been manifested in this world the ways in which your covenant loyalty has been proven to your church and to each of us as individual members of it. We are grateful to you. We know that we are not grateful enough, not grateful as we ought to be, but Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for what you've done. We're thankful for your, for your plan of redemption, your perfect plan. And for the way in which you have carried it out, We're thankful that you have secured our salvation through the life and the death and the resurrection of your most beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that you have given us the gift of your Spirit. And that he resides with us. He lives in us. We're thankful that we are the temple of the Spirit, of of the Spirit of God. For these and many, many more reasons, O Lord, we pray that we would be grateful. We pray that you would teach us by your word and spirit to be grateful, what we ought to be grateful for. And we pray, dear Lord, that that gratitude would build up within us a great sense of loyalty to you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our hymn of response this morning is number 608. To God, my earnest voice I raise. Hymn number 608. Please stand and sing this hymn together.